You're listening to Sunday Worship at Weddington Methodist Church. Find more ways to worship, fellowship, serve, study, and be supported at WeddingtonChurch.org. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me once again to the New Testament book of Colossians. Over the last few weeks, we've been studying together Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. So I invite you to take a look at Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin at verse 1. That's Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin at verse 1, where Paul continues to write. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its Creator. And that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege now of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. So I pray that this will be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus the Christ, amen. 
It's one thing to be a Sunday Christian. We come to church, it's a safe place, we get online, we have some opportunity to be together, we sing praises to our God, we pray together, we fellowship together, we study God's holy word together, we come to the table of our Lord together. It's a sacred time, sacred space, a beautiful place. A privilege to be the church. But then Monday comes. To be a Monday Christian is a little more challenging than to be a Sunday Christian. On Monday, instead of going to church, we go to the office oftentimes. Or we go to school. And I was thinking about this when I was reminded that when my kids were in school and when my daughter started dating, when we went off to college with both of them, I would often say, just remember, not everybody goes to Sunday school. It's a different world out there. There are different values out there. There are different morals out there. There's, there are so many different things than who we are called to be as the church. For some of us, we head to the airport. It's time to head off to do our work. We get in a car, we travel for the trip, and then we find ourselves in a hotel, a place where we think no one else is looking and the temptations can become so real, so strong. The stresses of life begin to hit us. Here in a sanctuary, this is known as a safe place, we can kind of compartmentalize that sometimes on Monday. Not as easy sometimes to do. The pressures are real, and thus the temptations feel stronger than ever. It's one thing to be a Sunday Christian. It's another to be a Monday Christian. Paul is writing again to this church at Colossae. Now, this is a church, as I've shared with you over the last few weeks, that Paul had never been to. He was not their founding pastor. He had heard of this church through Epaphras, who was their pastor, who loved this church dearly, had shared with Paul how amazing this church is. And Paul, at the beginning of the letter, writes to them and is sharing with them, wow, I've heard of your incredible faith. I've heard of your life, I've heard of your commitment, I've heard of your love for each other, I've heard of your ministry and mission in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, just as he shares at the end of this passage. You're an incredible church. But then he warns them, there's some theology out there that can get you in trouble. And now he turns to practice. Now that we've talked about who we are, what we believe as a church... How do we live our lives? For some, we refer to this as Paul's moral theology. How do we live our lives? You, you actually saw this coming in the, in the beginning of his letter, in the intro to the letter, in Colossians 1 verse 9, where Paul writes, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we've not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with God's with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And catch verse 10. So that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. 
One of the things Paul is writing to the church here and reminding us is, is that our faith is not limited to our head. I go to the Bible studies. I get deep into the Scripture. I study the Word. I can speak the theology. I know the theology. I, I, can, I can share my faith. And it's a little deeper than our, our hearts, where our emotions are. The, 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 I feel this relationship with God. I, I can feel the presence of God in my life. Those are powerful. So Paul says now we connect our head knowledge. We connect our heart, our emotions, and relationship with our lives. Our faith is to be demonstrated in our lives. How do we live out our our faith? In other words, to put it theologically, our orthodoxy, ortho means right, orthodoxy is right faith, is demonstrated in our orthopraxy our right living, how we live our lives. In other words, Paul's trying to remind us that being a Christian, it's not simply what we know or what we feel. Deeper, it's who we are. It's our essence. It's our being. It's our DNA. Paul actually writes this to the letter to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Paul says, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. Paul is reminding us that in our baptism, and he refers to this in chapter 2 as we studied last week, Paul refers that in our baptism, we change clothes. We take off the clothes of that old self, and, and we are now clothed with the righteousness of God. We become a new person, a, a new creation. And Paul then shares, here's a list of things that we're to give away. Now, it's interesting when you hear this list of things that, that we're to be careful of and to set aside, you can kind of break them down into two categories. One is sexual morality or sexual immorality, and the other is speech. As you can imagine, just we think about our world, we think about our lives. Those are the two areas where we Christians and the rest of the world can find ourselves tripping up most easily. So Paul says, think about who you are. Set aside things like fornication, impurity, passion, and evil desire, and greed. I mean, there are some studies that have actually shown that when, when church members, Christians have been interviewed, we may have this strong faith in Christ, but, but some have determined, determined or termed what is known as sexual atheism. I, I'm a Christian in every other part of my life, but in my sexuality, my faith doesn't really connect with who I am, how I live, and how I respond in those ways. And Paul's going, wait a minute. You're a Christian from head to toe. We're a Christian through all that we do. And then it's interesting that here he mentions greed, and you go, I thought you were saying that, that everything talked about sexuality. Well, greed is here as well. And, and, and the Greek word that he's talking about here is that word that means there's just never enough. Just never enough. How much is enough? 
I, I remember when uh, we were young and just married and and we were struggling to make ends meet. I was a student pastor. And you think, you know, if I could ever just get to here. And then you get there and you go, if I could ever just get to here, then I would be comfortable. And you get there and you go, if I could ever just get to here, when do we have enough? Sometimes we're so busy trying to get to the next level. We're so busy trying to make a new living that we, we don't even experience life. But actually, in this concept of greed, it also carries with it, with the Greek implications, sexual greed. Meaning coveting and greed in the sense that I'm not content with what I have. I want what my neighbor may have. It's one of the commandments when you read it, coveting my neighbor's wife or spouse or husband. What does that look like for us? And speech. The other is in speech. James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 26, that if anything they're religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Now that's, that's a pretty strong statement. The religion's worthless, but our tongues are sharp. And they can cut people and, and they leave scars that can last for life. So one of the things Paul mentions here, for example, in verse 8 and 9, is he says, so put away things like anger and wrath and malice, slander, abusive language from the mouth. Don't lie to one another. I mean, I'm reminded of the time when Jesus had been arrested right before the crucifixion. Peter's trying to follow along, and all of a sudden a servant girl asked him, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And they ask again, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And, and, and I don't know what you're talking about. And, and then they share, you are one of Jesus' disciples for your speech gives you away. In other words, they knew he was Galilean. But I think sometimes, regardless of our testimony, our speech can really give us away. And, and Paul says, then put away these things. And again, it's that baptismal implication of we're disrobing from the old self and we're putting on the new self. It's why Paul, then when he writes the letter to the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So when Paul's writing to the church at Colossae and to us, he's reminding, you know, that we've put on Christ. We're different now. And all the, even all the earthly distinctions have been removed. There's, there's no longer then a sense of race or a sense of nationality. There's no sense of, of social status, slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We're part of a different kingdom. We're part of a higher kingdom. Paul says you've been chosen. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 when he said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, 
But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In other words, Paul and Peter both are reminding us we're part of the kingdom of God. It's a different kingdom. We have different values. We have different morals because of our theology, because of who we are, because of the relationship with our God, and because of who God is. We see things differently. And so he says, so put on things like compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, sometimes when we hear things like that, we think then Christians are supposed to be just, you know, this so passive that people can just roll all over us. And when we hear, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, we just think, well, that just means I've got to let people run all over me. That's not what meekness means at all. Actually, meekness means bridled strength. It's not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Strength under control. So, so control yourselves. He says, bear with one another, helping each other out. Forgive each other. He says, clothe each other in love and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's interesting because we're in the NFL season. We're about ready to plan up now for the Super Bowl and getting ready for it. Did you know that that word rule here in the Greek actually has an athletic connotation to it? And what it means is let the peace referee. Let the peace be the referee of your heart. Be thankful, teach and admonish one another, but you're doing so to build each other up. And then in gratitude, you sing songs and worship and praise your God. N.T. Wright, again, one of my favorite theologians, as you know, said, just kind of imagine there's two different communities. There's one community, and it's based on the, the values of fornication, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, lying. Then there's another community, and it's based on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, where you bear with one another, forgive each other, clothed in love with the peace of Christ in your hearts. And he goes, now, which one of those two communities would you really want to live in? Well, obviously, the community of the new life is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And one of the things that I often wonder is, if we, the church, took seriously who we are as a church, not only on Sunday, but also on Mondays, would the world not get a glimpse of the kingdom of God? Would we not get to experience a glimpse of the kingdom of God if these were our values and who we are, if this became our identity, our sense of being? So Paul says, we are called to be a different kind of people. Paul is not one of those preachers who preaches down the watered down or cheap grace gospel. Just love Jesus and do the best you can do. That's kind of cheap grace. Read Dietrich Bonhoeffer if you want to hear about cheap grace and his cost of discipleship. Cheap grace, he says, is the deadly enemy of the church. That's not what Paul is calling for at all. Paul believed in transformation. Jesus believed in transformation. 
to be a new creation, a new creature, a new being, having a new identity. This is not to be looked at as a new set of rules. It's not legalism. Jesus didn't care for legalism. But it's a sense of identity. Being a Christian, it's who I am. It's a new life in Christ. So Paul says to the church at Colossae, he says to us, chapter 2, verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. 